Before we start the program, I want to introduce you to an event that's coming up this August. The Loma Linda Institute of Worship is offering a worship leadership certificate to help leaders and pastors take their congregation's worship experience to the next level. This August 9-12 through 12 event will include presenters Randy Roberts, Adriana Pereira, Nicholas Zork, Wayne Buckner, Richard Hickam, and more, and provide the opportunity to perform on stage with Steve Green and the Heritage Singers. Come sing, pray, write new music, share testimonies and resources, and grow together with like-minded worship leaders from across the world. Go to LLIW.net to register. The choir's here. Yes. We're back in church, friends. We're back in church. Oh, man, it is such a beautiful thing having all the voices and seeing all of you. What a joy and delight it is. And on this Mother's Day, I have to make a pause here for a moment. My dear wife with our two kiddos is here. Happy Mother's Day, Elena. You're an amazing mama. Well, friends, it is a prayer conference, and I couldn't go any further without stopping to pray. And so would you do something with me? I really believe that today's message is so significant that it might just impact the rest of the days and how you live out as a believer. And in humble adoration to our Savior, our God, I'm going to kneel, and if any of you want to join me, Let's do that together. Amazing Father, I come before you here today with my friends. And Daddy, I want to thank you for their lives. I want to thank you for who you've made them to be. But God, some of us have had a very trialless week. Some of us are ambivalent about faith. Some of us aren't sure what's going to happen with our finances, our marriage. Things seem on the rocks with school. God, there are so many feelings many of us come into this sanctuary with. But today, Father, my prayer is that you would reach every heart, speak loudly, clearly. Holy Spirit, come into our lives. God, we need you so desperately, so deeply, so badly right now as a people. Father, speak For your people are listening, and God, speak in spite of me, in Jesus' name, amen, amen. If someone were to ask you, what is Adventism's greatest contribution? Some of you immediately might run to food. Brother, we are a blue zone. We're a blue zone. We're vegetarians. We've got canned meat on cue. Have you seen the types of canned meats that we have? I mean, there are a million types, and my favorite is Nutina. I'm kidding. I'm completely kidding. I don't know why they made that one. Some of you maybe are masters of that. Go ahead. Bring bring me a dish. I'll, I'll be willing to try it. But some of you maybe look to other things like, hey, Little Debbie's, we put breakfast on the map with Kellogg's. Or how about this, you know, some of my friends would come over to our home and my mom would make all these Adventist dishes and and meatloafs and like, this is, there's no meat in this? Wow. And there was this, my favorite one, one of my buddies would say, hey bro, when can I come over again and have that one dish? Um, uh, 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 It's what cows eat. Um, 
uh, hey, hey, hey. Well, some of you might not stay in the realm of food too long when you think about Adventism's greatest contribution. You might go to something theological, and you would stop on the Sabbath, and then you might stop even on the spirit of prophecy and the gift that's manifested in the work of Ellen White. But I want to tell you, there is one gift, one contribution that I believe is so neglected because for many years... 200 years, many have looked at this as Adventism's greatest stain of embarrassment. But what if I told you it might just be that this very thing is the new thing that God wants to resurrect within each one of us because it was so significant and so powerful that it might just change eternity for many of us. But I want to tell you a story about Adventism for a moment before I go any further to tell you anything else. And I want to share some dates. I want to share some people. So put on your thinking cap. Sit on there for a moment. It was 1843. A gentleman by the name of Hiram Edson, a Methodist farmer, had just become a Seventh-day Adventist. Well, it wasn't Seventh-day Adventist at that time. He just became an Adventist. A person who believed in the teachings of William Miller, who was a, another farmer, a lot of farmers doing a lot of good things out there. And he was a Baptist minister who found the works of Daniel, the prophet, and particularly Daniel chapter 8, for unto 2,300 days, evenings and mornings, then the sanctuary will be cleansed. He studied this over and over, day after day. For years, he had read through all of the scriptures, and he believed that Jesus was coming. Because when he looked at that, he said, what could be cleansed? It's got to be the earth. The earth has got to be the sanctuary. This must mean Jesus is coming at the end of those 2,300 days. Well, how did he get to the dates that he was picking? Well, he read Ezra chapter 7. You go through verses 2 through 11, and there you'll find at the beginning of the decree to rebuild Jerusalem, this is the mark of the beginning of that prophecy. Well, if you know anything about Daniel, he was taken into captivity to Babylon. The peoples uh, were all thrown there, and the temple and Jerusalem was completely destroyed. And so Artaxerxes gave the decree, you can go back and rebuild your place. And this was the beginning of that 2,300 days. And if you take a pause for a moment, 490 years from 457, the 490-year prophecy, you get to 30-ish A.D. What happened around then? Anyone? Christ's crucifixion. What? Time and dates, it works like that? It works like that. And then if you continue on to complete the 2,300 days, William Miller believed that it was in 1843. Well, then he kind of recalculated things. No, 1844. And he landed on October 22 on the Day of Atonement. This was the day that the high priest in Jewish understanding would go into from the holy place where you have the table of showbread, the candles, the altar of incense, and he would move into the most holy place where he would pray on behalf of the people and consecrate them. 
while there were over potentially anywhere, scholars say, 50,000 to 150,000 people who were following these teachings of William Miller and others who were saying, Jesus is coming. They were called the ones of the Advent, the Adventists. Well, 1844, October 22, 11.59, midnight, 1201-1844, October 23. No Jesus, no clouds parting, nothing. Just utter disappointment. They thought he was coming. They thought this was the moment that the Lord was going to come. Just disappointment. Just more disappointment and more disappointment. Well, Hiram Edson, remember that guy that I was telling you about? Well, he was utterly devastated, utterly devastated. He began to rethink what he believed about God, the Bible, everything. He said, I don't know if any of this is true anymore because everything I had learned has just come to shambles. That's a moment when many people, you think about your own life, when someone dies in your family who was a strong believer. Remember my mom, her father dying and she grabbed the Bible at an age of 12. Her dad, her idol, took the Bible and just threw it across the room. When you're in moments of incredible crisis, everything that you believed in begins to just break beneath you. Well, after some moments of reflection and, and some pondering, and he realized, wait a second, this last year was the most significant year of my Christian journey. I have never experienced such highs with God. Expecting his second coming was the most significant thing that's ever been in my life. Wait a moment. This wasn't all bad. Not only was it not all bad, there might be still yet good to come. And so that next morning, he grabbed one of his buddies, O.R.L. Crozier, and they started off to go to every Adventist home and to encourage them. But they didn't go in the main streets because people were jeering those people. They were making fun of them. Oh, you missed the date, did you? <laughs> Jesus didn't come, did he? So they said, ah, let's not go in the main streets. We're going through the cornfield. So they start walking through the cornfield. And in that moment, I want to read to you what Hiram Edson wrote in a letter later on as he recounted what happened on that day in that cornfield. Listen to Hiram Edson's words. Heaven seemed open to my view, Edson later remembered. And I saw distinctly and clearly that instead of our high priest coming out of the most holy of the heavenly sanctuary to come to this earth, at the end of the 2300 days, that he for the first time entered on that day the second apartment of the sanctuary, the most holy place, and that he had a work to perform on the most holy before coming to this earth. He had a work to perform before coming to this earth. You see, what many would look as one of the greatest stains of embarrassment on this Advent movement, I think is probably one of the most significant and misunderstood things in the Adventist movement. And if you understand this, this has the potential to change everything in how you follow Jesus. So what is that work that he's doing in that place? What is that work? 
Well, let's tie together what we just heard from Pastor Randy just last week, the advocate, to now this new work, okay? Let's jump to 1 John chapter 2 and verse 1. And here it says something very interesting that I want you to get, okay? 1 John chapter 2 and verse 1. Look at this with me, okay? 1 John chapter 1 and verse 2. And here it says, My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. Some of you are like, wait a minute, I thought the advocate was the Holy Spirit. Hey, God, the Father, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, they are the advocate. Here it's putting together the work of the Holy Spirit now with Jesus. In particular, the idea that Jesus takes care of sin as our advocate. But how? How exactly? I'll give you one more verse. Look at Isaiah chapter 53 and verse 12. The work of sin, the advocate, and what he does with it. Look at this now. Read this with me. Isaiah 53 and verse 12. He himself bore the sin of many and interceded for the transgressors. The work of sin is awful in our life. I spend week after week talking with young adults, people, just bearing their soul with me with what sin has done in their life, and it is terrible. If you're a human being like I am, sin has done so much to my life. Things I regret, things I wish I couldn't ever have to repeat. But here the text is so clear. No, you have an advocate, someone who's on your team, someone who's going to take care of that sin. There's a work that he's going to do in this second place, this most holy place. He's going to intercede. Now, some of you are still wondering, brother, okay, you're using these words of theological understanding to you, but what does intercede mean? Now, well, let me tell you what. I didn't know what it meant either for a long time. I'd hear people say it, interceding. He's interceding for us. He's interceding for us. You kind of think one thing or another. But let me explain to you. Let me paint the scene to you because the advocate is also another term for a lawyer. Sometimes, you know, in, in my language, we say advocat. That means a lawyer. Some of you think of lawyers, and the only thing that comes to your mind is Meghan Markle on Netflix, the show Suits, or Law and Order, right? Let me paint you a different scene for a moment. Think about this scene. Here's a guilty individual sitting here, and here's their lawyer. And then the accusing lawyer stands on the other side and stands up and recounts everything this person has done, the things they've said, the people they've hurt, the people that they've just messed up forever because of the work that they did in their life. And they sit down, and immediately the defense lawyer stands up. I have something to say, jury. Judge, your honor, I need to explain something. Everything that this accusing lawyer said is right. The guilty person's like, wait a second, what? He pulls on the coattails of the, of the lawyer and has him sit down and gives him a little briefing. Hey, listen, I apologized. I repented of all the things that I've done wrong. And I thought when we talked, you said that there's a plan. And the lawyer looks over at the guilty person and he says, 
Friend, I need you to understand, when I said that there's a plan that's out of this world, there is a plan. Because I'm about to intercede for you. And this is what intercession is, my friends. I want to I show this to you. Because as the lawyer is, is recounting everything that had been done, he says, you know what? This person is guilty. He is guilty. And he deserves to receive everything that the punishment is there in the law. For the wages of sin is and then the lawyer does something that no one could have imagined. He takes off a robe and he says, but this guy, this girl, you, me, they've chosen me to be their lawyer, their defense, and honor, I'm paying their price. And so I give them my robe of righteousness. Woo! Come on, you gotta clap for that. That's Jesus' work on your behalf. You talk about significance. Some of us have been Christians for all our life, and when we hear about Jesus, it's like, yeah, Jesus, I've heard that, preacher, but tell me something new. Friend, do you understand the robe of righteousness? Do you understand the work of what Jesus did? You deserve everything you should get the law is right. Some of us have taken grace for granted. We had a friend just recently who came over to our home. And they just couldn't believe that we prayed over her. She started crying. Because it was the first time she had felt kindness and love. And some of you have taken for granted God's kindness and his love and his robe of righteousness. And it doesn't seem like anything. Uh, yeah, I'm forgiven. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah it's, that's just what I get. No, 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 no. You can't step out of that just like that. No. Heaven died for you and me. Heaven died for you and me. Friends, the significance of that is huge. All of eternity was given to us who don't deserve it. Mercy. Mercy is not because you deserve it. Mercy is the undeserving receiving what they don't deserve. And the work of Jesus is that he is the prayer warrior sitting by the right hand of the Father pleading on behalf of lost humanity, the broken, the hurting, the marriages struggling, the gambler, the addict, the person who continues not to know how to use their words with love. It is the stubborn. It is the angry. It is you, me, that the Father is pleading for, the Father is praying for, you, you. He's praying for you. And you've been given this, this. And friend, I want to tell you what's so significant about that. Read this now, what Paul says in Romans chapter 8. Read Romans chapter 1, 2. Therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Man, when you get the robe of righteousness, there's no condemnation for you. And then you go on to verse 31 through 35. Listen to this. 
Romans chapter 8, verse 31 to 34, actually. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How then shall he not also freely give us all things? Who shall bring to a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. He who condemns, it is Christ who died. And furthermore, listen to this now. He is at the right hand of the Father, Christ, who is raised to life. And it is he who is interceding for us. Woo! You can clap to that one every single day. Do you know how this looks? I want to paint this picture for you by a, by a comment from Ellen White. It is so good. Get this bookmark in the back before you leave. It's all about intercession. But listen to this one thing that she says. This is how it goes. To the angels of darkness, the word is sounded. Stand back. This soul is not yours. It has been purchased by the precious blood of Christ. Stand back. I and my Father are one. We have come to draw this soul to righteousness. Oh, 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 oh. the work of God is beautiful. Snatching what deserves to be in death and brings it to life. Oh, man. But I want you to remember this, though. I want you to remember this. That work that God's doing on our behalf right now as we speak is also the work you're called to do. You are called to intercede for the saints. Check this out. Read this verse with me. 1 Peter chapter 2. Look at this. It is remarkable. 1 Peter 2 verse 5. And yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy, what? Priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Your job and my job right now as believers is to be priests. Some of you are like, whoa, just got an upgrade. That's awesome. So I can tell people what to do, huh? No, what your job and my job right now is to do is this. Our job as believers right now is to be interceding on behalf of everyone in your life. Our job as priests is to intercede. Now, this is a... This is a strange word, but I'm going to break it down in the Greek even more because then so much more beauty comes out. Listen to this. In the Greek, it's a, it's a strange word. i got to read it to you because I, I, I'm going to even mess it up. Huper entunkano. But I can break this down for us a little bit more. Huper means benefit. Enturkano means to come in line with. When you and I pray and intercede in behalf of people, we pray that the benefit of God's mercy and his grace would be given unto them and that their life would come in line with the kingdom. I was 19 years old 
and I was completely lost. I'd been given the freedom like many college students who leave home and get to college, and I slept in every weekend. Church, come on. I got, I got snoozing to do, and I'd just sleep. Sometimes I'd feel guilty, and I'd be like, okay, I got to listen to Dwight Nelson. He is the man. I, I like that guy. I grew up there as a kid. So I'd run there just five minutes before the service ends, and I'd kind of feel like I did my dues, and I could be able to call mom and dad, yeah, I went to church. I went to church, said amen, and left. But someone gave me a book, a little tiny book, that changed a lot for me. The Incredible Power of Prayer by Roger Morneau, a book that we have gotten, the, a prayer team, I'm telling you, this prayer team is incredible, friends. You don't understand what this prayer team has done for this church over this last year. The day that that pandemic began, we had people on the phone every single day praying for all of us. We had a team that was praying every day for God's blessing in the lives of our people here. And I believe that there is power in prayer. And I started reading through this book. Story after story of God doing mighty works in people's lives. And some of you are like, oh, prayer, come on. Prayer, dude, is that all you're going to tell me about, to just pray more? I'm already tired and exhausted. When we start having those kind of feelings, let me tell you something. You're like the sower who sowed the seeds and it fell on rocky soil. What does Luke tell us? That person was consumed with the cares of this world. And many of us are apathetic to faith and prayer and spending time with God because the cares of this world have consumed our hearts. We've given ourselves to things that truly, in the end, mean nothing. And I start reading Roger Morneau's work, and I realize how he gets results with prayer. He, he intercedes. And he made a list of people. And so I started to follow that list of putting people in my life that I want to see God act and move in their life. And you know a person I started praying for? My future wife. I started praying for her. I was praying, God, would you do mighty things in her life? Would you save her? Would you protect her? Would you guide her, Jesus? I don't know her. I don't know her yet, but I can't wait to meet her soon. And that next year I met her. I was interceding for my family, for my friends who were completely gone. They had no desire for Jesus. I was praying for everyone I knew. I was praying for people that had medical issues. I was praying for anyone who said, please pray for me. I would go around campus running around, and one, one professor looked at me. He said, dude, you're praying too much. <laughs> what do you mean praying too much? I'm excited about what Jesus can do. Friends, I need you to get that excited too. It's been a long time since those years, and I've grown a little older, a little heavier, a little broader, and I've grown tired spiritually too. And so this sermon, the idea of you and I being priests for the kingdom is something I need for myself as well again. Friends, it's time for each one of us to pick up the mantle of intercession that you might bring the benefit of God's grace to someone in your life that they might come in line with the kingdom too.
And so I want to give you two things that I can't encourage you enough to do. Besides going to the back and running and grabbing this book before you're done. We're, we're gifting this to everyone here today. Everyone gets a copy. I want you to do these two things. I want you to make a reaffirmed commitment that you will begin praying for people in your life with power. A power of commitment saying, God, I need your blood of Christ to cover this person. Jesus, I need healing for her. God, he's done. He's done with church. He's addicted. He's my boy. I, I gave birth to him, but he's lost. God, help him. I need you to plead for everyone you know in your life, and I want you to make a list. When I started counting my list, I had people in there I couldn't believe. I had pages of people I was praying for. Friend, I want you to get to that place in your life, and I want to get to that place in my life again, where I start praying for people with eagerness because I want to see them in heaven with me. I want to go there myself, so I hope you're praying for me, and I'm going to be praying for you. I'm going to be praying for this young little one who's crying right here. It's my girl. I love her. I'm going to pray for her as I do every single day. Before I put her down, I give her a kiss and I hug her and I love her and I pray for her. I pray for my little boy that was just born. Parents, don't give up praying for those children that have wandered. There's a whole chapter about that in this book. Don't give up on prayer. That's the first thing I want to encourage you today. And the second thing is this. Start today. Start today. You're a priest in the kingdom. God has called you to a mighty work of intercession. Who might be in heaven tomorrow because you prayed?